0: If you would, um, if you're not already there, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, We started looking at this last week. We're examining, so um, if you weren't with us last week, we we had finished up a couple of weeks back um, our study on church discipline, and we're kind of in this broader um, category of just the church more generally in the systematic theology study. And we find ourselves in the section of the systematic theology study where church governance is discussed. Last week we started by identifying a couple of areas or a couple of, um, like, places that one might find themselves as a believer, um, and we we spoke about one particularly that does that uh, we should not be expecting more of. Uh, that's the the kind of role of an apostle that has that has passed with um, the the followers in the uh, kind of that first generation of followers. So we we don't expect for there to be more apostles. But um, we look as well, and we see in scripture um, a couple of other roles that are defined there, one of which is an elder, another is a deacon, and before we can talk about church governance more broadly, we need to kind of look at these um, individual roles and and, um, consider them. Um, When we look at elder, we see um, that's spoken of in a couple of different ways throughout scripture. You're going to see elder spoken of as an elder, as a pastor, as an overseer, as a bishop, all of these are interchangeable um, in the the type of responsibility that they're speaking towards, and we're going to be digging into that um, this week. We were, we we began that last week. Uh, we're also going to look at the role of a deacon, um, and then um, one of the things that I kind of alluded to last week, um, and this one's kind of this one's one that's tough um, is. I find that when I examine scripture and when I look at the call of individuals into service and particularly into the roles of elders and deacons, I find that um, it seems there's a position that seems fairly clear to me. Um, With that being said, that is a position that we oftentimes don't see practically applied within the church locally, and I'm, I'm talking about Mount Carmel, just the, not just Mount Carmel, but kind of in the area more broadly. And um, to to identify that problem, or not, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say problem. That's that's an OK word to use here, but um, I want to use that gently. Um, One of the problems that I see is that we oftentimes identify deacons as though they were elders and those are not the same thing. And that there is a risk um, when churches organize themselves in a way that the the differences and distinctions between uh, that of an elder and that of a deacon are conflated so that they effectively are, are equal to one another. Um, we're going to look at that, and I'll try to point that out along the way. Um, one of the one of the ways that I think that you can oftentimes see this play out in a church is if if um, deacons, I'm, I, let me let me say it. Let me say it like this, because I think as we dig through the text and we identify these two differences between the two, um, there is a responsibility that's applied to someone in eldership that is not applied to someone who is a deacon. And to apply that responsibility to a deacon does a disservice to the responsibility that that person called into that position as a deacon Should have, and it also causes us, without necessarily thinking that we do it, applying the restrictions for an elder to those that we select to be deacons among us. Um, And not everyone who might be um, used as a deacon would necessarily even seek or desire um, that extra responsibility of being able to present God's word before the church. Um, so I think what, what that can lead to long-term is that we can find ourselves in a place where we have men who should be called to service um, who are not. Um, and long-term, that will, ex- that will exhaust those who are, who perhaps might, should have been better classified as elders Um, but because that distinction was not something that that particular church had, then instead the de facto is you're a deacon, but behind the scenes effectively you probably ought to qualify as an elder for that because there's a particular type of responsibility that tends to be applied or given to those who are called into that office or position of a deacon, um, which is uh, in many ways um, unbiblical. Um, so as we, as we dig into, I want you to pay attention to the text around elders and then deacons. I mentioned last week that there are a lot of similarities when it comes to the character of the individuals called into these roles, but there's a distinct difference between the two, um, and we'll dig into that as we dig into the text. Those things are, are seen when we examine the Word. I want to put this out there before we kind of get too far into this. Um Kind of plant this seed in your minds in regards to um, an elder in general. When we look at this, some of the traits that we started examining last week that we're going to continue examining today, um, in regards to leadership in general and submission to that leadership, um, I want us to understand elders as those who lead a church as a father leads a family. Okay. Um and I know even in saying that we have to unpack that a little bit because not everybody comes from a family where the father necessarily did that. So, um our our views of what a good father looks like oftentimes need to be um addressed when we consider like l- using that term in regards to To uh, to elders. So um, as we look at the text today, that ought to become clear. So if you have this um, wrong view of what a father ought to look like in leading his household, and if perhaps you find yourself, maybe you are a father, and and some of these things, you're like, I, this should be these should be attributes that I display as I lead my family. So um, some of the things that we're going to hit specifically in verse four of chapter three of 1 Timothy in regards to children being submissive. This idea in general in general um, comes with like a lot of like baggage. Um, as we're going to see, when we dig into what it means to be someone who leads in a, in a manner um, worthy of the calling that Scripture would place, this is not one who just exerts dominion over the ones that are to be submissive. Um, but that by the very nature of that person's walk and life, that submission doesn't necessarily come. Uh, it's not a difficult thing to achieve. Um Though oftentimes there is a refining that goes into us um, because we tend to not like to submit to anything. Um, but as as uh, the Holy Spirit works in us individually, it, he, he teaches us uh, what this means and what this looks like. So last week, um, and I'm going to begin reading in chapter 3. Uh, verse one, but we got to hospitality and we'll kind of start there. One of the things that we're doing here is when we when we consider what the function of an elder is and when we consider what the function of a deacon is, the way that we get to function, um, specifically, when we're looking at these like qualifications, is that we look at the character of the person that's put forward, and then we see by that character what must be the function of that individual. So we're looking at these character traits of those who are called into these uh, into these positions, right? So First um, Timothy chapter three. Verse one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of old overseer, this could be uh, this this word here overseer, um, like I said earlier, could be seen as elder, pastor, bishop. Um, he desires a noble task. So um, it should be the case that we desire here at Mount Carmel that young men who we've been training up from the time that they are children, Uh, That some of them, it should be a desire within our heart as we see them grow, that we should be praying that some of them that God would place within them this aspiration to become an overseer. And this is, again, there's a reason that we see the traits that we're given because this idea of overseer, we're not talking about a CEO. We're not talking about a manager. We're not talking about take a worldly way of leading and apply it within the church, right? Such that we would look for overseers that look like CEOs or that we would look like overseers that look like productive managers in a workplace. These are not the same characters. And you know this to be true if you've worked anywhere for any length of time is that oftentimes those in that context that find themselves successful in no way would line up with the realities that we see when we look at the qualifications for these individuals because the character Between the two is the difference maker. And the way that that individual leads comes out of that. So we should be praying that the young men here at Mount Carmel would have a desire. That some of them, God would call to desire, to aspire to this office of overseer. That there would be some young man that would say, One day I would desire to have these traits in my life. Such that I might find myself useful to God for his people. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable. So we got if you if you want to hear the discussion. Um, that we had about that, um, I encourage you to go back to the podcast and listen to the recording from, from last week. We're not going to um, retrace our steps on those different attributes. Today we're going to begin with this new one here, hospitable. So an overseer is to be hospitable. What does it mean to be hospitable? When you think of someone who is hospitable, what are the attributes that you, that you um, think of in your mind? When you think of someone who's hospitable. Hospitality in general. Say this again. Welcoming. Welcoming. So someone who would welcome you into their home. Who would not just be like, well, okay. I guess there's no one else going to do it, so we'll host it at our place right but hospitality is is this this uh, this being hospitable is one who says i desire you to come and and the the things that god has gifted me with i'm going to leverage them for blessing you right that it's something that from within the heart of that individual that they seek to bring some kind of like giving welcoming atmosphere where you can be you right like, has anyone ever found themselves in a place where you were like, "This is very hospitable"? Have you ever perhaps been to a restaurant to where they like manufacture manufacture hospitality for the for the sake of the experience, right? Where it's like your your water your glass of water will not go empty because someone's there going out of their way to keep that glass full, right? Where it seems as though while you're there in this place that every need that you might have is attended to, right? This is, this is the feeling. This is the experience of hospitality. It's welcoming. It's welcoming in a way that when you find yourself there, you're like I could stay here for a while, right? Your guard comes down in this type of environment right so for those who are called who aspire to be overseers this is an attribute that we ought to expect to see in this person do they invite you into their home do they when when you are with them do they do they bring this like sense of which like they're giving something of themselves in that interaction this is what it means to be hospitable. And then we get to... It also means um, easy to be with. Yes. To, to feel con- connections. So it might, if we are hospitable in the church, it means that we are seeking connections with people. It yes. Yes. Yeah. And even some of the newest people in our church when she passed away would say, This lady made me feel welcome. Yes. And it's not just even in our homes, but it's in our, and it's in our interactions with people. Like, can people say they enjoy their time with you? And that's right. not to say that every moment no. will always be no. bright and shiny. No. Right. right? No. But even in the low, low, that it's not like, well, you can come and, and hang out whenever everything's good and I don't have to hear you complain, right? right? But it's also like, when you hit rock bottom, come to my house. Right. Talk to me. Yes. I mean, it's yes. Like lane of yes. Like to care deeply, right? Exactly. And, I, and I want us to understand that. Um, as we consider the governing of a church, the leading of a church, those who are overseers, having this nature, breeds it within the other. So, as we, as we look towards this, like how do overseers lead? There's going to be this overwhelming reality as we dig through this that the leadership comes by example, right? That they lead in such a way that like that attribute of hospitality, that that thing that you see in them that is welcoming, bleeds into other people's lives, right? It has an effect on others so that others see that the Holy Spirit within them confirms that this is the way that we should be going, and then you follow that lead, right? So hospitality is um, it, this is all of these are kind of character attributes that should be identified in those aspiring to this office of overseer. And now we come to this next this next element. Um, this is going to be one of those that I'm going to point out to you is a is a differentiator. Um, it is probably the pivotal differentiator between the two callings. Um, so um, we will see as as we kind of progress through the elder overseer and then we start examining um, the the qualifications for a deacon that many of the attributes that we will see in a deacon we could point back and perhaps it's worded slightly differently but it essentially exists in the other um, this able to teach or apt to teach and we're going to look we're going to look in First Peter chapter five we're going to look in um, Titus chapter one as well to kind of uh, shore up this this idea. Um, What we ought to be identifying in those who um, have aspired to the office of overseer is that these individuals, along with all of these other attributes, right? Not like, here's the thing that we can't... And I feel like a lot of times, just even in, and I'm going to say like... Uh, The pastor of a church is a particular, like, they are an elder. They fall into this, like, category of elder. But even in a place where you would find only a, like, the single elder model being applied, oftentimes we find ourselves looking at certain things while ignoring others so like as an example someone might be able to stand before you and speak extremely eloquently they might be able to stir within you a feeling and fail in every other qualification they are unqualified to be an elder therefore unqualified to be a pastor. So so I don't want you to look at this able to teach as merely able to teach, right? It's not less than that, but that doesn't encompass the whole thing, right? Like they might be, you might perceive that they're able to teach, but part of this able to teach really comes into like, What are they teaching? Right? Like, this ability to teach. Like, if all they could do was stand before you and speak eloquently and stir emotion, and yet none of what they speak aligns with these character traits, if they can't practice the thing that they're preaching, then they will likely not preach that thing. Right? It will likely preach another thing. So I think when we consider this able to teach, we, we ought to consider that this is not merely the ability to stand before others and speak eloquently. That's not what this is, right? Now, that's not saying that someone who does such a thing, like right, that they could not... Likewise, align themselves in in all ways with this, right? This is again, we're not saying that if you if you do those things well, that you fall in every other area, right? So there are there are men throughout the history of the church who have fit all of those things. You'll tend to hear you'll tend to hear us quote from them <laughs> quite often, right? Because the the marks of that individual's life was such that the the things that they said stuck long beyond when they they left, right? So uh, this ability to teach, though, is something that is um, a unique qualification of the one who is an overseer. So matching all of these other attributes uh, that might align with what you would seek for in a deacon as well, um, the ability to teach is one that aligns with the overseer. And this is a critical, this is a critical distinction between the two. Okay? Um, it is the most important thing for you as a believer in your walk are the truths that you believe about God. The truths that you believe that you get from the Word of God. So each time that someone stands in the pulpit and preaches, the most important thing that they can do is tell you truth about who God is, what God has done, and how that affects you. And that the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the Word of God to stir within you change. not just emotion okay because oftentimes we associate emotion with change and those two things are not the same right you could feel really good in a moment by words that someone speaks walk away having heard no truth from the scripture and there be no ability for you to change from that feeling. Those feelings don't change you, right? Like that emotional tug doesn't change you. God's Word and God's Word alone through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life changes you. So we ought to be seeking for those who aspire to the office of overseer, those who fit these qualities, we ought to be seeking that they also would have this they would cherish God's word and want to elevate the truth of God's word before his people so that his people can benefit from it. So the elder here able to teach. Now we're gonna hit this we're gonna hit this later. Um, But we will see um, that there's a different phrasing that we get when we look at the deacon down in verse 9, where it says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, right? Um, This is different than um, this, like, call to having a quality of being a teacher. Um, That is, in verse 9, we would see. An element of teachability coming out in that in that section there. Um, so let's continue on. We're going to try to we're going try to cover through at least um, First Timothy chapter three one through seven today. So the next thing that we see, not a drunkard. <clears throat> um, so one of the things that I want us to, and I'm just going to keep kind of hammering this home again and again and again, is that there is a character trait that we see, or these are character traits that we are to look for in this uh, individual that's aspiring to this, uh, to this role that we as a church are seeking and praying. Lord, bring these men here, like, like grow them up from among us, and help us to identify and to, to steward them, to steward them well. Um, in shaping their character, and part of that is not a drunkard, right? So we see sober-mindedness and self-controlled previously, and now we get this negative element just telling us they should not be drunkards, right? There's a sense in, in here where you should be kind of getting this idea that this person who's called into this particular place, this particular, uh, this particular office, as verse 1 says, um, is someone who should be in control of themselves and is not seeking to lose that control, right? Drunkenness is something that an individual gives themselves over to, right? Not a drunkard, right? This person is in control of themselves and, and like they seek to maintain that control and not give that control up to chemicals, Right? not violent but gentle again so not a drunkard not violent and then as opposed to violent we are we get here gentle so the character that that we should see in this individual what we should be seeing is that this individual is one that um that we ought to be able to look to and see the character of their lives and as believers we should see in them things that we want to see in us as well, right? And the and that like stable standard that they put forward there um, does not give room for drunkenness, foolishness, debauchery. It does not give room for violence. What is this person like when they are faced with adversity? What is this person like when their ideas are challenged? What is this person like when they're on the losing side of an argument? Are they controlled? Do they tend towards violence? or are they gentle? So not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Again, we see these character traits of self-control and these so like the able to teach, um, and then into drunkard into not violent. Like we see these like things that like drunkenness, outbursts of violence, and quarreling, These are not always readily evident if you do not know that person, right? If you you have not had time to evaluate that person. But these are also things, like we would call them red flags or warning signs, where you can see them clearly when they manifest themselves, right? Drunkenness, violence, quarreling. And then last here, not a lover of money, so, all of these, as we consider these to like all of these ideas together, and we consider the character of the individual um, who fits in this role, this is going to be an individual who, when they find themselves in that position of leadership, Fears that position of leadership. They fear what it might mean if they stumble. They fear what it might mean if they fall. They are not doing this because they are trying to seek some type of personal gain. And and clearly here, the not a lover of money is evident in that. They are not doing this. They are not seeking this office for power or prestige or like a high standing, or to make themselves wealthy. Verse 4, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The last part of verse 5 there, how will he care for... For God's church. And we start really being able to see what this overseer is doing. He's caring for the church. And kind of this last piece that we see in verse 4 and 5 points us to what I believe is one of the clearest indicators of whether or not a person who aspires to be an overseer fits the bill. Um, it's the clearest place to see this in their life. Even if you do not know them personally. It's to look at how they manage their own family. Right? Because if they're leading their family well, this is essentially at the at the end of the day, if a man can't lead his family well, he cannot lead the family of God well. Right? And um, and if you're a father, you know how um, how heavy a burden it is to be a father, period. Um, to try to lead your children well, period. And then to think that there would be some who would desire to lead their family well. And then alongside that, God placed within them this aspiration to take this thing that God is, has and is training them with through their family and the daily lives that they live with their family and apply that in a way that the family of God grows from it um, this is a thing that we should desire this here we should desire this should be a thing that we pray for that God would do this that God would, not just like, not just Dustin, right? Not just one guy. Um, and, and if you look at this pattern that we see throughout the church, kind of in the local area, is that if a church is left only with that one guy, then you got three years, four years on average before you're seeking the next one, Right? And this is, this is why I think that this can be a, a disastrous problem for the way that we establish the governance of a church is because everything rests on the one guy, right? And then what we find is we find, we find men who claim to be called to be pastors who effectively are itinerant in the way that they pastor, such that you won't find one at a church for decades. It's it's exceedingly rare. It's exceedingly rare. So we should be praying that God would do that here. We should be praying that he would raise up those who fit these qualities. We should be praying that he would bring them up from, from whether or not they're in the children's classes now, And our children's workers are laboring for their spirits and souls that they might fit these qualities when they get older, if God places it on their heart, or whether or not they're in the youth now, or whether or not they find themselves in the congregation at large and in another class. We should be praying that God would send these types of men here. He must manage his household well. Men, no matter where you fall in this, um, if you are a follower of Christ, if he has changed your heart, you should be seeking to manage your household well. Perhaps you have disqualified yourself from these roles. And that can happen. We see this all the time in where pastors fall from and, are, and, and effectively disqualify themselves for uh, a myriad of sins, oftentimes sexual sins. Um, so perhaps you find yourself listening to this and, and, and maybe in your mind you're like, I've already disqualified myself. Do you have sons? Do you have sons? Could you not now steward well that perhaps God might raise up from within your household one who would aspire to this office and by your leading be kept safe for it? keeping his children submissive and this is one of those aspects right here where it's like when you hear any type of submission in scripture whether it's like children submitting to their fathers or whether it's wives submitting to husbands there is this tendency within us to like reject and fight against this um this word right like we're Americans, and Americans don't submit to anything right <laughs> like that's like the that's like the 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 that rises up within us and i wanna i wanna tell you and we'll see this it'll probably be next week when we see this um that this submission is not an oppression right this is not this. A man leading his house and leading his house with like heavy iron fists of fury that will rain down on anyone who dares to disobey. This is a man who leads, living a life above reproach, faithful to his wife and family, sober minded in everything that he does, self controlled in the way that he responds to good times and to bad times, respectable in the life that he lives, hospitable, welcoming. He seeks to teach his family. He's not drunk. He's not losing control. He doesn't give himself over to things. He's not violent. He's gentle. He's not quarrelsome. He doesn't love the money that he has more than the greater gifts that God's given him and his family I dare to say that if we as men could live close to this standard that we would find it less difficult for our children to follow us that's not to say that our children are going to be perfect right there's A lot that we can say to that as well Um, we'll probably we'll probably touch on that again next time Um, we can't guarantee even the best families that children don't sometimes go astray Um, people are people and people make their own decisions Um, but there is a pattern of living in this person seeking Uh, this office of overseer that at large on average when you see a person living this life they will tend to have their children following after them in their footsteps and because of this because of this general truth it's not an absolute thing that everybody that lives faithfully will have children that live faithfully that's not an absolute truth But it's a general truth that applies at large that we can look at and we can see and identify someone who manages their household well. And we can deal with the exceptions when they come, but at large, in general, we can look at this in the way that an individual manages their family and determine whether or not they will manage the family of God correctly. Um, as, As we kind of... We'll we'll close there today. I want us to consider um, what it would mean if we had a church full of these hospitable leaders versus thinking that we need only one. Um, As we get into kind of the larger discussion, once we kind of dig through the qualifications of elders and qualifications of deacons, we're going to step over and we're going to look at church governance at large. Um, And when we get there, um, part of what we're going to examine is the way that we tend to see it, like the way that we tend to see it. And here's the way that it is generally applied within the Baptist church in this direction or in this general location that we find ourselves is we tend to have single single elder-led churches with boards of deacons, right? And those boards of deacons oftentimes tend to play this blended role that looks a lot like eldership. Um, and what I'm going to say is that we do a disservice to those called into being deacons by placing that type of burden Um, of a requirement on them and then I'm also going to say um, how does scripture give us guidance in regards to the number of elders that we ought to desire within a church. That is the number of men who qualify in these positions. What does scripture give us there? Um, I think that we'll see as we look at that that um, there's not a single church in the New Testament that um, you will find a single elder led, like a single preacher where everything rides on their shoulders. Um, instead, we find this plurality of elders that we see in every church that is spoken about. And we'll we'll touch on that uh, when we get there. And when we do, we should have the conversation. If we don't align, what are the steps? How do we... How do we um, submit ourselves to the teaching of of Scripture? Uh, Let's pray that God would guide us along that way.